Inside Syracuse Basketball with Mike Waters. Presented by Syracuse.com. College basketball is a great thing. Anything can happen. Welcome to the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast. I'm Mike Waters. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Pete Thamel, college sports reporter for Yahoo Sports. Pete is a Syracuse graduate and a former colleague of mine at the Post Standard. Pete and I talked about the recent retirement announcements of North Carolina's Roy Williams and Duke's Mike Krzyzewski. And we also discussed how long Jim Boeheim will keep coaching and how Syracuse eventually goes about replacing the legend. Pete, how are you doing? Mike, I'm great. It's, uh, it's, it's a pleasure to, uh, pleasure to be here. Longtime listener, first time guest. So I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm excited to, uh, excited to be on. Well, this works I know out. More great. of my college friends are going to listen to me on this than anything else. I uh, anything else I do say or write this year. So, you 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 say that, but I don't know. You're pretty well read, um, and we're still building our audience. So you're going to help us there with all your former college buddies. There you go. Yeah. Um, no. So thank you very much. But no, you're the perfect guy because you cover college sports for a long, long time. So you kind of know a little bit about the Duke and the UNC landscapes. But obviously, at some point in this conversation, we're going to tie in the whole Syracuse and Jim Beheim dynamic here. Sure. And of course, as a Syracuse University grad and a guy who used to cover uh, the Syracuse program uh, by my side for, for several years at the Post Standard, uh, this, is, this is great. Um, so let's start with Coach K and Roy Williams. Now, we knew that the ACC had several coaches over the age of 70 and eventually these guys are going to start calling it a career. Mm-hmm. But two, in, in, in two months, Roy Williams and Mike Krzyzewski both go ahead and, and call it quits, basically. I mean, did you ever think we'd see these two guys stepping aside basically at the same time? Well, it, it's interesting. Typically, in the years I've done this, college football, college basketball, when you see legends step aside, it comes parallel to poor performance on the field or on the court. And quite frankly, UNC hasn't been UNC the past couple of years, uh, especially two years ago. Um, and last year they were, they were a pedestrian version of themselves as a North Carolina graduate. I'm sure you've seen plenty of editions of UNC that were better. Duke was generationally bad last year. So again, is this the only reason? Of course not. Right. These are older guys. Both of them had serious health problems. Um, so there's not a surprise, but in terms of nudging to the transition, it is so rare when someone has win has won big in my experience, covering college sports and then said, you know what, now is the time. It just, mm-hmm. it just hasn't happened. So I think what's been lost in this a little bit with, with all of the coverage of Roy and all the coverage of Mike is that, this is, you know, there are, their programs have shown little bits of vulnerability that maybe hadn't been there much uh, in, in the past, you know, decade or so. Um, again, they're not doing bad jobs. No one was going to run them out. But you see your own mortality when you see the product being diminished from the standard you set. And certainly they're brilliant coaches. But I really do think that if Duke was Duke last year in a number one seed, it's a harder decision to make. Now, of course, Mike's not going to say that. Uh, I saw his comments yesterday. And 
Roy, I thought was pretty candid. He said he couldn't do it like he was doing it before. And I, I give him a lot of credit for, for that because we've seen guys go out kicking and screaming when the, when the product has been, uh, when the product has been diminished. So now that said, Duke is going to be excellent this year. Uh, Banchero is you know, the most talented player in college basketball, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they've got, you know, they've got, it's not the, the Zion reddish Barrett class, but they have a, class that's at least in the conversation they have three top 20 guys they have a decent core returning they will be i would think the acc's most talented team there's still transfers that have to spin back and forth florida state's going to be really good again right um right. but I, I would think that banchero is a rare dude right a top three no-brainer uh big time big time guy and so I, I think you start with him you put keels in there is it aj griffin the kid from uh new york um right. So there, you, know, you are going to see a Duke that resembles the Duke you remember, not the sort of sputtering Duke of the Jalen Johnson defection and just sort of uninspired play of the uh, of the last year. So it'd be good. I, I think that's the best story in college basketball for the next year is, you know, can Mike Krzyzewski win the ACC, which they haven't done since 2010. They shared it with Maryland. It was that long ago. Maryland is still in the league. Um, can, you know, can Duke win the ACC? Can Mike Krzyzewski go out? as the you know NCAA champion, a Final Four coach one more time for the 13th time. I, I think that will be the biggest, most compelling storyline in the sport moving forward, uh, moving forward next season. That's going to be a lot of fun for everybody. I mean, I don't – the schedule's not out yet, right, Mike? No, not out, no. Yeah, so if Duke comes to Carrier Dome and it's Coach K's last game, that's an event. Uh, Duke comes to Boston College. I live in Boston. You know, that like it is, it is going to be as – distinct of a farewell tour and celebrated a farewell tour as we've ever seen in the sport. Now, some people have criticized Kay saying like he wanted the attention. I don't really believe that. I think yeah, I don't give either. John Shire the year to establish himself, get to know recruits. You have a very specific vision to pitch to. I think that gives them an advantage and he goes, gets to go hire a great assistant coach. Mm-hmm. To, to add to the staff, which, which they need. I mean, we, we have no idea how much money John Chire is going to make, but it's not going to be $8 million, right? <laughs> so it's probably going to be somewhere around a third to a quarter of that. So if you, if you look at how Duke is going to be composed, um, the staff is going to be key. I don't think Carolina has a very good staff right now. I, they're certainly not a staff that's going to scare anyone in the ACC. So if you're John Shire, maybe you go outside the family and you bring in a killer assistant, you pay the guy 900 grand. I think it just gives you a little time to develop a plan, develop an identity. Carolina just went and like grabbed Jeff, grabbed the first guy in a powder blue polo shirt and, you know, Jeff Lebo, who's fine, but like Jeff Lebo's not scaring anybody in the, in the ACC. So I really think that Duke has an advantage going forward with that. All right. You kind of led me into my next question here. Carolina is now in the post Roy era immediately with Hubert Davis. Duke's got one year uh, left with, with Mike Krzyzewski as the head coach. And then John Shire takes over after next season, which school, which program do you think is better situated right now to, in, as, as it moves forward to have success in the future? It's a good question. Um, I said this on our Yahoo sports podcast yesterday. One of these guys is going to fail. One of them will. I'm not sure which one, but one of them will. I mean, they're following huge legends. They have no head coaching experience. And the expectations are one of them has to follow the greatest coach of a generation. The other has to follow a guy who won three national titles. All right. 
So the expectations are just completely out of whack. So it's without knowing what Shire's staff is going to be like, mm-hmm. without really knowing what the roster is going to be like. I mean, he has a clean slate in 22. I think only three of the top 20 kids in 2022 have committed, right? I think so right. yeah, very few because of COVID. It's, it's, it, yes, it's not like you're coming in and you're you're scrambling. You can go in and say, hey, you are going to become the face of New Duke, which could be a really attractive pitch. I mean, look, they're both awesome schools, right? They're both have awesome tradition, awesome fan bases. They are two of the five best jobs in the country, if quite frankly, not the two best, Mike. You know, I mean, these are these are awesome places where everything is set up to win. Uh, Duke especially has done a great job with facilities branding really like the marketing social media push they've really i think have an edge there they they've they've done as good of a job as anyone in college athletics with that ancillary stuff that matters probably more than it should right but these are both great brands kids want to play there their flagship nike like the everything lines up for things to work for them the problems for john and hubert are going to be to win at the levels where their fan bases have become expected it, it become accustomed to. Um, and there's probably, I don't know how, how long the leash will be. It was interesting to see yesterday. Did you watch the press conference? Oh, yes. So Kay, you know, gave the tribute to Tom Butters. Um, he should. <laughs> yes. No, he should. No, Tom Butters saved his, you know, Coach K is just uh, another Bob Bender. If it's, you know, just some guy who sort of sputtered through and was a forgettable couple year coach. And um, so, this is this is my theory and i wrote a column about this on on yahoo like coach duke was very good before coach k they had went they went they had gone to the final four a handful of times they had mike jiminski and uh spinarkle and you know they were they were a very good basketball program but they weren't duke like we know duke a relentless winner a multi-time national champion a you know they they, 12 final fours in k's time there like they were they were a, a a prominent figure on the landscape K turned them into the definitive program of a generation. And so how much will Duke be able to carry John Shire in the early years? Just like how much will Carolina, which has been that program for many generations, you know, for for almost a century, right? Carolina has been a relentless winner. So how much can Carolina and the brand help Hubert adjust? Uh, I I think those are the, those are the interesting questions for me is are, were kids going for K or were they going for Cameron and the education? So, you know, were kids going to uh, UNC for, and look, it's, it's an awesome education school too. Like they both are the easiest cells in college basketball. So um, yeah. I, and I think it's going to come to, you know, I don't want to oversimplify, but I think it's going to come down to how they can recruit and pitch themselves to the next generation of player. They're both going to be competing with the G league. They're both going to be competing with overtime elite. And your sophistication in navigating those complicated recruitments is really going to be uh, is really going to be an important way to of how to push forward. So let's start talking a little bit about Syracuse. Let's bring Syracuse into this overall picture because you know Roy steps aside, Mike's going to step aside in another year, and then you have Jim, who's older than both. He and he's got no signs of of slowing down or wanting to call it quits. In an interview just yesterday with your friend, our, our my colleague Donna Tatota, Beheim he he says he's not only coaching next year, he's coaching the year after. The the kids that he's recruiting and they're going after a lot of kids in this class. 
the class of 22, he plans on coaching them because otherwise, you know, it's the reason Mike Krzyzewski says he was going to, he didn't want to, he didn't want to go out and recruit this year, knowing that he wasn't going to coach these kids. So, yeah, well, you know, let's... Jim Beheim was never going to go out quietly, Mike. Right. I mean, just, that's just not his personality. Right. Huh? Um, he was never the guy that was going to win the national title and walk away. And he's a, he's a fighter. It's, it's that school, that program is his identity. And okay. I think, you know, getting inside Jim's head a little bit, like he's nervous about what happens after he does transition out. And so, I mean, look, when I was in school, people were talking about who was going to replace Bayheim. And I, I graduated in 1999. So, um, and he was one of those coaches who was like, oh, I won't be doing this when I'm X years old, but they all, oh, yeah. doing it. They're, they're all junkies. They're all junkies. They can't get enough. They, they, they can't go. Um, I really, uh, I, I really think that, it's going to be fascinating. I, I think they have the guy on the bench there to replace him, Major Anak. Like, I wouldn't be surprised whenever this transition does happen, if it, if, if Red, John Shire, and Hubert are kind of the, the young guys. And look, Coach Larinaga at Miami doesn't have a lot of time left either. Um, it, you know, just when you look at age and you look at recent, recent performance. So the ACC is going to change exponentially quickly. But obviously, this is a Syracuse podcast. It would be the storybook ending if, Jim and his two sons, you know, have a great season, make a run in the tournament. And then he, uh, and then he, you know, goes off into the, uh, into the sunset. They've clearly had some roster management problems recently. The talent in the Syracuse basketball program right now is a shadow of what it was a decade ago when they had those, that really good run. I think of that Arenze Onowaku team that lost to Butler in the elite eight when he, uh, when he hurt himself in the, in the Big East tournament against Georgetown. Like that was like the centerpiece of a run, you know, Deion Waiters coming off the bench. Right. I mean, they, like they were good, talented. They had the right mix of the occasional one and done, two and done guy with really good three and four year guys. You know, the Brandon Trishes of the world who were just awesome college players came in, developed, won a lot of games. Syracuse was always in a contention for a five, seven year stretch and for a one, two or a three seed. Whether it was the end of the Big East or the early ACC, they were in contention for the conference title. I mean, yep. Syracuse has been a mediocre program in ACC play for the past five, seven years. I mean, it just hasn't been what it was. And, and how much about it? We've recorded all these numbers and the trends, and 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 you're right. And there's a lot of factors going on there. In a weird way, it might actually help the Beheim successor that. The, the, like we were talking about expectations of Duke fans and Carolina fans, I think Syracuse fans might realize, listen, this isn't easy. It's, it's not a given that Syracuse, even with Jim Beheim at the helm, is always going to be knocking down 30 win seasons and, and be a contender that this is, a, this is not necessarily an easy job. It's a tough job. You mentioned earlier, you mentioned a name, Beheim's successor, Red Autry. Before we get to that question, though, the fact that a few years back when Mike Hopkins was going to be the successor and Syracuse University had actually said so, they had made it official, Mike Hopkins was going to succeed Jim Beheim. And I remember there was a few naysayers around town. They're like, oh, you know, we love Hop, but he doesn't have any head coaching experience, no head coaching experience. Why can't we, you know, you know, why can't we go hire Jay Wright or somebody? Um, the fact that North Carolina and Duke have now both gone in-house with assistants with no head coaching experience. Does that kind of make it okay for Syracuse and other programs to uh, even big programs like Syracuse to go in-house, no experience? I think it certainly, it certainly helps. And 
I don't think there are a lot of established head coaches who want to come in and replace Jim Beheim. Like I remember, you know, going into his earlier transition that ended up not happening. Um, the university was like, oh, forget those pesky NCAA selections. We'll just, we'll just let you come back. Um, I had called – it was kind of that era when, like, Archie Miller was the hot guy and Chris Mack was kind of the hot mid-major guy. And I called around some, and, like, there was no appetite for high-end mid-major coaches to come into Syracuse and replace Jim Bayheim. Jim Bayheim has made Syracuse what it is, even more so than Mike Krzyzewski has made Duke what it is. I agree. Duke had a better pedigree before Kay got there than Syracuse had before Bayheim got there. And there really is – if you think about it, no good reason for Syracuse University to be great at basketball. There's not a lot of local talent, right? You, there's what, one player every five years, maybe, you know, it, up in that That's area, fair. maybe a little more recently, but like, uh, you know, a, an all league type player, maybe once every five years, maybe there was Lazar Sims and then a big drought, uh, you know, from nineties, nineties on. And then there's been your odd, uh, you know, your odd Trish and uh, who is the big fellow who never panned out? Uh, Daywan Coleman. But Daywan Coleman. He was very, yeah. very good, but, you know, his knees betrayed him. Yes, yes. He was he was certainly a talented guy. But those those guys are – the years where there aren't players of that level are more often than the years where there are compared to Atlanta or D.C. where, you know, there's just – you know, there's five kids at Paula Sixth that are better usually most years than the best kid in Syracuse. So the point is Jim Beheim created something out of now, now there's passion, the dome helped Pearl help, you know, there's all the reasons why it happened are very logical, but from a pure baseline reason, when coaches look at that job, they're like, wait a minute, the expectations are through the roof. There's no local talent. It's not a place where like kids, grow up in New York and in the Northeast wanting to play for Syracuse. That is true, but it doesn't have the national allure of a Carolina, of a Duke, you know, like, like a place like Texas, um, you know, climate is going to be a factor. You know, when, when you're like a national recruit looking at, like, and again, I, I, this is not to knock Syracuse, but like when you go 30,000 feet and look at it there, what Be- it's, it, it is the highest compliment to Jim Beheim because you're like, wow, you did it there where there wasn't a lot of organic reasons for it to happen there. Like, you know, Georgia football should always be good, right? Alabama football should always be good. It's all, it's all around them. Um, he basically turned Syracuse into a destination, which did not have a, a logical exit on the highway. And so I, I give him credit for that, but that is going to scare coaches away because of that. And it is a place that has honored its own. When you look at Syracuse, it is a place. If you look at Jim Beheim's staff, there's a certain DNA and a certain understanding. It's a quirky place. And nobody has sold recruits better on Syracuse in the last decade than Red Autry. He's super wired in D.C. He's a great relationship with Keith Stevens, who's the most powerful guy in basketball in that area. He's from New York, where they, you know, he has consistently been able to go in and navigate complicated recruitments and bring good players. So I really think it's easy for me to see him as the next face because he's done the work already. Now, listen, I cover the program. I could answer this myself, but you're my podcast guest and my podcast listeners are going to never listen again. If I don't ask you, well, what about Jerry McNamara, Pete? Sure. Jerry McNamara has done an excellent job and he's probably a pinch more of an iconic player, you know, in the, in the, there's, there's a romanticism to Jerry McNamara from playing, you know, being a star freshman on that title team and, you know, obviously was a prolific four-year player, face of the program, all the buses coming from Scranton, the whole thing. Um, I just think if you look at it from who has been a better – if you pulled the ACC coaches and said who's a better assistant coach, and 
Adrian Autry would be the answer. Well, the one thing you do have out there is for the past several years, Adrian Autry has also had the title of associate head coach. And sure. I don't know if that means anything to the folks that will end up making this decision, but you know, it's, it's something else that uh, it says something about red. I think um, if you're John Wildhack, when Jim Beheim comes to you and says, okay, I am done. Uh, if you're John, do you have to call Mike Hopkins first or is the last couple of years out in Washington kind of making you go, you know what? We're good here. We'll, we'll hire one of my, you know, the guys off the current staff. Yeah. I, I'd be curious. And I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, Mike, if contractually that's even possible. Cause if you're Washington and Mike Hopkins starts the way he started, you are going to obviously know that Syracuse could make a run at him someday. Cause Jim Beham can't go forever. He may want to, but he can't go forever. <laughs> so I believe pop one pac 12 coach of the year, back to back years when he, uh, when he started, uh, you know, gave him a great adrenaline shot his first year, went to the NCAA tournament, won a game his second year, um, and then has, you know, significantly backslid since then. There's no way to, there's no way to sugarcoat that. But he got an extension after that second year. And I know to fire Mike Hopkins right now is very expensive. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of $9, $10 million. It's a lot of money. And I can't, I can't imagine they would give him that kind of guarantee and not protect him the other way, right? That's just, that would be, that would be administrative malfeasance and Washington's too smart to do that. So I think certainly they could call. I mean, you would at least have to like for the optics of it, but um, yeah. And Mike's, Mike's done a good job. He's very happy out there too. I mean, you, you, you know, Mike and talk to him. I mean, it's a, it's a great city. Seattle is a much better basketball city and basketball area. If you look, I mean, we could rattle. Off it's very underrated. Oh, it's super underrated. I mean, it's, you know, you, you can go, all the, all the way back. There are a lot of talented Hall of Fame type players who've come from the, who've come from the city of Seattle. It, if you recruit Seattle in a prolific manner, you can win a national title. I, I, I think that you, know, you can't do it every year, but you can, you can build a consistent Final Four roster if you can mine that city in a proper – I mean, Paulo Benchero is from Seattle. Um, his mom's all-time leading, one of the all-time leading scorers at University of Washington. So there yeah. are yeah. great – elite players there. I mean, you look at some of Arizona's better rosters. They've done great in Seattle. Um, you know, whoever is, whoever is really dominating the PAC 12 has always had to have a, a, a toe in Seattle and, and been able to pull some, uh, to pull some players from there. And Lorenzo Romar had some great teams there. I mean, some great teams with great players. Um, you think about Brandon Roy, Martel Webster's from Seattle. I mean, we could Jamal Crawford's from Seattle. Um, you know, we could go, we could go on and on. And, and, and we there'd be five we forgot who are like really good NBA mainstays. Where where do you think the Syracuse program goes in the years after Jim Beheim retires? How and it's it's a it's a version of the question: How well situated is this program for future success when the guy who's iconic uh, and synonymous with the program leaves? I think it's I think they will be fine. Right. I, I think the, the last five, seven years have probably been more realistic to what Syracuse is going to be in the national scene than maybe those pre that previous run we were talking about when they were dominant, a one seed, a two seed. And, you know, we're making making deep runs in the in the NCAA tournament. The, there'll be a very good ACC program that will be competitive in the league and can occasionally jump up and really compete at the highest level in the ACC, which means you're competing at the highest level in the sport. Like you can be a top 25 program that moonlights when things fall right as a top 10 program. 
the name, image, and likeness, I think, will help a place like Syracuse. That's an insular city that loves their teams and loves their sports. And you're going to have car dealerships, restaurants, all those types of things. That's going to be more helpful for Syracuse basketball players in Syracuse than Georgia Tech basketball players in Atlanta, per se. Right. I get it. Um, so I think if you take advantage of that, and then the transfer portal has done, Syracuse has done pretty well in the transfer portal because guys know exactly what they're walking into. They're going to walk into full arenas. They're going to walk into a program that has a very defined style. And it, it, if you want to jump up, it's a really attractive place. If you're a mid-major player, mm-hmm. then you want to go. If you're at another high major, you know you're playing in the ACC. You're playing in front of a full house. You're, 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 in a, you're in a major market just in terms of your sort of enveloped into New York some. Um, yeah, they, they, they have not surprisingly done well in the, in the transfer portal because it's, it's an attractive destination to, uh, to play college basketball. So I think Syracuse is well-situated. The Mellow Center isn't like one of the 10 best facilities in the country, but it's totally fine. It's a very nice place. Like nobody's going to go to the Mellow Center and be like, oh, I don't want to play there. So it, is it, you know, a waterfall cascading kind of like crazy facility like, you know, Oregon or Alabama football? No, but it's a, it's a, it's a plus. That is definitely a, a, a recruiting advantage for Syracuse um, that, that they have that. So it's, you know, the, the, the bones are there. The dome is still a major attraction. Guys want to play in front of big crowds. You know, I remember writing the story of the post stand about Carmelo Anthony going to visit the carrier dome. Troy Weaver walks him in and he looks around and he's just like, I want to play here. Like, this is awesome. Like this is, it's, you know, that, that environment still, still matters. And, and college basketball really matters in Syracuse, New York. And, and I think players feel that and sense that. So I think it will be fine. And look, it's ultimately going to come down to what always going to come down to. How well do you recruit the 95 court? How well do you recruit New York, New Jersey, Philly, and D.C.? And the best Syracuse teams have dominated that corridor and been able to identify and then develop talent from that area. All right. Um, one last question. <clears throat> Whenever Jim decides that it is time, and this could be several years down the road, let's not say when, but how will he do it like Roy Williams did after a season's over, take a few more weeks on April 1st, throw everybody in big April fool's joke and say, okay, I'm done. Do you do it like Mike Krzyzewski just did where he's like, okay, guys, I'm going to be done, but I'm going to take one more year because I want to give my top assistant a chance to really get his legs underneath them. And, you know, I'll steer the program through the next year, but everybody knows it's my last. Or does he do it like Dean Smith, where Dean Smith surprised everybody retiring just before the start of fall practice and kind of, you know, made sure that the guy he wanted from his staff, in this case, it was Bill Guthridge. He wanted Bill Guthridge to have a shot at the job. And uh, he walked away right before the start of the season. School had no other choice. Is it Roy's way, Kay's way, or Dean's way for Jim Beheim? Or, or it's a really, it's a really good question. For the sake of the program, the K way is probably the best way. Yeah, I like it because, too. Because the, the Roy way, you leave yourself vulnerable to get your roster paired. Um, the Dean way would certainly work, but Jim Beheim's going to coach that last year. That's just not his DNA. He's not a walk away guy, right? He's a, he is a fighter. He has always been that way. And I, I've never seen the ending being clean and tidy with Jim Beheim. That's just not who he is. Um, I, I hope he gets to end it in a way he finds satisfying. He certainly earned that. He certainly earned a voice in who's next. Like he has done that university and that program very right. There's certainly been 
bumps in the road, but Jim, Jim Beheim has been the most transformative figure in the history of Syracuse University. And I don't think anyone can argue that. What he's done, especially for the institution and elevating the name and the brand, it's really incalculable how he's done that. So that said, I don't see him as the kind of guy who wants the rocking chair tour, right? That's not his DNA. He doesn't like attention. Um, he doesn't want to go into these, these cities where they boot him and cursed at him for years and have like people cheering at him. That's just, just a little bit. It, it wouldn't surprise me if it's just like one day he just decides to hang it up. Now, how and when and the strategy behind that, I don't know. The last time there was a transition planned, Jim Bam didn't talk about it a whole lot. He didn't like to talk about it. He didn't no. talk about it publicly. He didn't talk about it with the staff. Like it was just kind of like he's a show up, do your job, keep your head down kind of guy. Like that's Long-term strategic thinking is not really his uh, is not really his mo. So I think there is a it, you, what the question you asked is a great question um, because if you want to set the program up successfully, I think there does have to be some sort of defined and refined strategy here. Whether whether that happens or not, I don't I don't know. Um, the results of this year will be interesting. Obviously, as the two sons on the team, it would seem like the logical swan song, but it doesn't surprise me that he told Donna that he's going to go, that he's going to go longer because that's, that's just who he is and how he's wired. God bless him. Yeah. I don't think the, the sentimental right off into the sunset with your boys at either side. I, I think that's great for, you know, a lot of folks and honestly, somebody like myself, I mean, I, you know, I, I love that sentimental sort of crap. Jim <laughs> Beheim is not a sentimental man. That is just not part of his DNA. Probably what, what's made him great. Right. Oh yeah, especially yeah. here. Um, yes. You know, you, you talked about this area. Listen, this is uh, this has been a great conversation, Pete, and um, we could probably go on for hours uh, between you and I uh, talking about Syracuse and basketball and and the ACC. Um, but I got to cut you loose so that you can go break more stories. Uh, <laughs> you broke one before we started, um, and now you're probably going to go break another one. So. But it's great for me to see. I, I love having you on the podcast. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I don't is, know. We didn't make it totally clear. I, I hope people out there know that uh, I've known you forever. I knew you were when you were a student at SU. You worked at the Post Standard. Uh, and, and yours is a friendship I value very, very much. And yeah. Well, I, yours is a mentorship I value. Nobody's mentored more journalists from Syracuse than Mike Waters, uh, <laughs> generously and relentlessly. So we, I appreciate it. We all appreciate it. He's uh, he's been the best daily orange sports editor that's never been in the office. So <laughs> did a mar- done a marvelous job being very patient with a lot of young eager eager beaver journalists like myself. So I I appreciate you, Mike. Always have and uh, yeah, it's great to be on. It's great that you started this podcast and it's growing. And uh, yeah, can't wait to see what it uh, what it becomes. I'm sure there's a robust market for it. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see it uh, to see it grow. Well, thanks again, Pete. Good talking to you, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it. I want to thank Pete for joining me on the podcast today. And thanks to you out there as well for listening in. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast and follow all of our complete coverage of Syracuse basketball on Syracuse.com. Until next time on the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast, I'm Mike Waters.